Last month, you guys might remember, for uh, a weekend, I went off to, uh, I was in Las Vegas for a weekend uh, with a bunch of friends of mine. And I was flying out to Vegas, and I flew out of Indy. I left Indy and went to Chicago. And then from Chicago, I flew all the way to Vegas. It was like three and a half hour long flight. And me, I like to sleep on the plane. I like to just be left alone. And I'm looking for my seat. And I'm like in the middle. I, I, there's three seats, and I'm going to be the guy in the middle. And I'm looking around. And I get to my row, and I see the people that I'm going to be sharing a seat with. And I want to show you pictures of the people I shared my row with. On my right was this lady, and on my left was this lady. And when I said I'm in the middle, that is when I learned why I lost so much weight, because the very first thing they said to me was, thank you, Jesus, we were praying for a skinny man. <laughs> and I said, well, Jesus answered your prayers because I didn't used to be a skinny man, and not really still a skinny man, but they, the whole way, and I tell you, I like to sleep, we, taught, we talked the entire way. I had such a good time with these two ladies, and it's a long flight, and it was over noon, so the airlines don't give you food, they sell you food now, and so I bought this box of, like a snack box, and it had crackers and hummus, and uh, just nasty and I'm sitting there going, I don't know if I should eat this. And they're both sitting there going, no, no, you've done good. You've done good. You can eat that. You'll be fine. And they're like, I don't know. No, no, that's good for you. You'll be good. And I said, you want some? No. Nope. I want any of that. I ain't going to eat any of that. And so we're talking, and it turns out they are both ministers at an inner city church in Chicago. And so suddenly we're talking shop. And we're talking about what programs are going on. I, I showed them pictures of you guys, and, and I showed them pictures of the new church, and I showed them pictures of the fire, and they just were absolutely amazed at, at what all we've done in the last couple of years. And we talked about children's programs, and we talked about worship and all kinds of stuff. And then we started talking about the Bible. And that's when things got interesting, when we started talking about the Bible. One of them told me that, she had been studying about Abraham, and, uh, and she was amazed at Abraham's faith. I mean, here this man had this faith to leave his home and to believe God for where God was going to take him. He didn't know where God was going to take him. He just left his home and believed God. And, and I made the point as we were talking, I said, you know, what's, what amazes me about Abraham is that it's not just what Abraham, that, that Abraham left his home, but when you get to the birth of Isaac, Abraham's son, the birth of Isaac was miraculous. It wasn't just that this old couple, Abraham and, I, or Abraham and, and Sarah, had, had a baby. It was, it was a miraculous birth. And she's looking at me and she's like, go on. And I'm like, well, you know, Paul makes the point, and, and I take him to the same place that I'm going to take you here in a moment in, in Romans chapter 4. It wasn't just that they were, they were old. It, it was physically impossible. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 19, he, that is Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And she's wanting more information as we're talking. I said, you know, this is just the beginning. God, all the way through the story of Abraham's family, you see miraculous birth after miraculous birth. You see people come together that never really should have hooked up unless God had brought him together. You see Boaz and Ruth, and you see, you see the birth of David come through that line, and then you see all these other births, and it comes down 
to Jesus and his miraculous birth, his virgin birth. I said, but it doesn't end there. It ends with you and me. It ends with our miraculous rebirth. We are born again because of the miracle that God first worked in this, line, in this family line, in, in the line of Abraham. We are all now part of that one family, not by birthright, but by a miracle that began in Abraham, continued in Christ, and now continues on in you and me. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating to the Romans and, and to us here in chapter 4. And apparently, as I read Romans, what I see is that the church there was experiencing some division between Jews and, and Gentiles in the church. And the question was, are we all equal in the faith? We're, we're all part of the church, but, but are we all equal? Are we all the same? I mean, you know, the Jews, we've been at this for a long time now, and, and we were God's chosen people, and doesn't that mean that, that we are the ones that, doesn't that mean that, that we're the ones that, that God really chose, and the rest of you are just stragglers? And, and what Paul says is, no, we are all part of this family by faith. Paul's not just linking us together, though, and making us one big happy family. He's showing us that since we're all children of Abraham, we are all part of Abraham's family by faith. And if that faith can bring us into one family, what else can that faith produce in us? I want you to look at Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says this is why, he's talking about salvation. He says this is why it, salvation, depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, all of Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of, God, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be it occurs to me it's one thing for us to to look to someone like abraham as a hero and say that man's a great hero of faith that's someone that we should look to and that's someone we should emulate and that's someone we should be like you know abraham's this this great hero of faith it's another thing for us to realize that you and i are here today because of the faith that Abraham had. And that you and I uh, are here uh, because we have been chosen as, uh, because of Abraham's faith. We are a child of his faith. And understand that God wants you to have the same kind of faith, that God wants you to inherit that faith. What does it mean to have faith like Abraham? What does that look like? What's it going to look like when that kind of faith is alive and active in us. Paul says in verse 16 that salvation depends on faith. And that's a very important place for us to start because this kind of faith calls us to take God at his word. If you look at verse 17, verse 17 that says, I have made you the father of many nations. Verse 17 is actually a quote from Genesis chapter 17, verse 5 where God says to Abraham way back then, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall now, your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude 
of nations. And I want you to notice there in that quote from Genesis 17, verse 5, it is completed action. I have made you. You guys see that, right? Completed action. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. But here's the kicker. Isaac, his son, wouldn't be born for another year yet. Sarah, his wife, wasn't even pregnant yet. But in God's eyes, by God's word, this is who Abraham already was. The action was complete. You are, I have made you, the father of a multitude of nations. You know, we see God do that in people's lives over and over again in the Bible. You know, you go to the book of Judges, and you see this man named Gideon. And when we first meet Gideon, where is he? He's in a hole in the ground. He's hiding in a hole in the ground from the Midianites because the Midianites are sitting in, they're like a, a biker gang. They're sitting in raiding parties and, and they're stealing and they're, they're taking people away and they're killing people and they're doing all these horrible things. And Gideon is hiding in this hole in the ground because he's afraid of the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appears to him, stands over him, sees this man cowering in a hole. And what does the angel of the Lord say to Gideon? He says, hello, mighty warrior mighty warrior? But when you get to the end of the book, that's who Gideon is. He is this mighty warrior for God. Jesus meets this fisherman named Simon, and Jesus says, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to say that you are a rock. Now, was Peter a rock yet? No. He was going to screw up a lot of stuff. <laughs> he was going to deny Jesus three times, deny he'd ever even heard him, didn't know him, didn't know anything about him. He was going to be a bit of a hothead for a while. But one day, that man would become a rock. You get to the book of Acts. There's a man named Ananias who goes to this house on Straight Street, and he meets Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, this horrible man who had been persecuting the church, who had been throwing Christians into jail, who had been killing some of them. And Ananias walks in. This is not Paul the apostle yet. This is Saul of Tarsus. And he walks in, and the first thing he says to him is, brother Saul. Was he a brother yet? No, not by any stretch of the imagination, but God knew who he was going to be. God knew the change that he was working in him. What about you and me? We know we're weak. We know we're afraid. We know how we fail him over and over again, but who are we? What does he call us? Keep your finger there in Romans chapter 4 and flip over to one of my favorite chapters. Head over to Ephesians chapter 1. We're just going to look really quick at a few verses here. Because I want, and what I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 1 is every one of these things is a completed action for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints. Do you feel like a saint? No? Some days you don't feel like a saint? You're saints. He calls us saints already. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's not that he's going to bless you. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You go on to verse 7. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Remember redemption? We talked about that last week. We've been bought back. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You go on down to verse 11. Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We have already obtained that. Verse 
3.13 says, We have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. All of that is completed action. And if you're a believer, all of that is true about you. Even on your worst day, even on that day when you know you're a failure, even on that day when you're very aware of your weakness, when you feel very small and very lost, take God at His word. Believe the truth that He has professed about you. That's not easy. I'm not going to pretend that's easy. And the world doesn't make it any easier. And some people, maybe even some of you, some of you are, are living the truth of your past. You're living in the truth of who you used to be because there's people in your life who won't let you forget who you used to be. And they constantly remind you of who you were. Some people, maybe even some of us here, someone else told us something and we took them at their word. Someone told you that you were worthless. Someone told you that you were a failure and you took that person at, your word, at their word. And some of you are struggling with, with who you are because you're very aware of your screw-ups here and now and, and how often you don't meet the, meet the measure. But what does God say about you? Paul prays towards the end of Ephesians chapter 1, and he prays for us, and he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Romans chapter 4 says you are God's children by faith. That reality needs to change who you are right now. Take God at his word. And the beautiful thing about doing that is the fruit that it produces in your life. Because once you take God at his word, what you find is you can trust God for things that you cannot see. If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, you don't have to go back there, but that's where it all starts. That's where we first meet Abraham. God calls Abraham. His name then was, was Abram. He calls Abraham to move and uh, to leave his country and, and go someplace else. So Abraham, being a, a wise man, he gets out his GPS. He's got like a TomTom or something. And he says, okay, give me the address. Where are we going? And he didn't really do that. God doesn't even give him the address. God doesn't tell him where he's going. He, he's... He just says, I want you to go. He's going to walk right off the map. God called him to simply trust him that there was this land out there somewhere and he was going to take him there. And for Abraham, that was just the start of his journey of faith. That was just the start of the journey, where God would take him. Over and over again, God showed Abraham, you can trust me for things that you cannot see yet. In verse 17, the second half of verse 17, we read uh, there in Romans chapter 4, it says of Abraham, who in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Abraham was 75 years old when God first told him that he was going to be a father. 
75 years old, when God first told him that he was going to be a father. Isaac, his son, was not born until Abraham was 100 years old. Now, for those of you parents out there, I want you to think about that for a moment. When you found out you were going to have a child, or when you found out that you had a child, when this kid just shows up one day, all of a sudden in the room there's three people, here's another person. 25 years later, you had a 25-year-old, 24-year-old, whatever, however you want to do the math. 25 years later, you had an adult. 25 years later, you had been through midnight feedings. You'd been through the crying and the screaming. You'd been through the diaper changing. You'd been through the terrible twos. 25 years later, you'd been through that awkward stage, you know, the zits and everything. And hopefully, 25 years later, you had an adult who maybe even had moved out by then, possibly. Maybe even had their own family by then. But you had done your job, and it was over with. That part of it was done anyway. 25 years later, 24 years later, Abraham still has another year. 99-year-old Abraham still has another year. Think about it. His AARP membership card was older than his kid. How does that work? God was waiting to show Abraham that he could rely on him completely. This was not just a matter of two old people having a baby. Sarah's womb was dead. It was impossible for them to have a child. Verse 19, again, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He did not weaken in faith. Did he weaken in faith because this was impossible? No, absolutely not. Why? Because verse 17 says that he believed in a God, he believed in the God who could call into existence things that did not exist and that could bring back life from the dead. And he's speaking of Sarah's womb in that, could bring life to something that was dead. Years later, Abraham's faith would be tested again when he took Isaac up to Mount Moriah because God told him to go sacrifice his son. Why did Abraham do that? God God had told him, this is your son who the promise is going to be fulfilled through. What on earth propelled him to go up there and sacrifice with the plan of sacrificing his son? Faith took him up there. According According to Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham reckoned, he thought, that if God could do this, if God could bring a baby out of his barren wife's womb, if God could produce a baby with his body that he knew was as good as dead, then God could take this child of his and bring him back from the dead. He just was absolutely certain that the God that he trusted in could do these things. Being a child of Abraham means being a child of faith. That's your heritage. That is your inheritance. It means we don't get scared when God calls us to do something we've never done before. We struggle with that. I think about the last two, three years what all we've had to do, what all we've experienced, and the joys and the sorrows as we've all kind of struggled together to find out what it is that we're supposed to be doing here. In so many instances, it would have been easier for us to just take off and run away. It would have been easier just to run away instead of walk by faith. 
first Sunday we met here, we came together just to sing a few songs after having church over at the TLC. I read one scripture. It's one of the most powerful scriptures I know. From Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And I love verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You can trust God for things that you cannot see. You can trust God for things that that you can't even believe in yet. Things you can't imagine. Things that you don't even have the power to think about. You can trust God for that. And the beautiful thing is, when we have that kind of faith that Abraham had, what we find is that hope gives birth to more hope. And I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend this is easy, because it's not. It's, it's very tough. And, and in a way, even though it's hope, even though that God is always faithful, in a way, I was reading through this this week and studying it, I couldn't help but realize just how heartbreaking that faith is at times. How heartbreaking it is to have that kind of hope. Verse 18, Paul says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. That takes us back to a passage in Genesis where God makes this covenant with Abraham. And then he takes Abraham outside and he says, Look up at the sky, look up at the stars. He says, count them. Count them if you can. And he says, look at those stars. So shall your offspring be. Here's the heartbreaking part to me anyway. That's all Abraham had to go on. When it came to faith, that image, stars, that was all he had to go on. His faith, that image. He couldn't trust his body. I don't want to get too graphic or direct about this, but I want you guys to think about this. 99 years old, 100 years old, Abraham was very aware of how powerless he was physically. He was very aware of his impotence, very aware of what he was incapable of doing as a man. He was also very aware that Sarah was barren. And here's the thing, guys. Men, he knew what he couldn't fix. You know what I mean? He knew what he himself couldn't do for himself, what he couldn't fix. That is a tough place for a man to be in, right? Nod with me. Is that a tough place for a guy to be in? When you wake up and someone says to you, well, we're no spring chicken anymore, are we? Yes, I am. No, I'm not. When you realize that you're not a kid anymore, when there are some things in life that it's just too late to change or to do, and when there's people that depend on you, people, you have a family that depends on you, and you are very aware of how weak you are, I can't help but think of that man who brought his son to Jesus, and his son would have seizures, and he would throw himself in the fire, and and there was nothing that he could do to help his son, to to heal his son. There was nothing in his power, nothing as a man that could, he could do to change who his son was and, and what was happening. And he comes to Jesus and he says, can you heal him? And Jesus says, can I? He says, all things are possible to him who believes. And the man's response to Jesus was, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but 
help my unbelief. Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope. He knew he was weak. He knew he was incapable of helping himself, and he knew that he was limited. And yet, that did not cause him to give up. That did not cause him to walk away from God's promises. It spurred him on to more faith. It spurred him on to more hope and even more patience. And he waited for God to fulfill what he had promised. What does your hope against hope look like? What is it that you are absolutely certain you cannot do? For some people, it's, I can't get over this addiction. I can't get over this thing that has, a, has its hold on me, whatever it might be. I can't get over this past relationship I can't get over this, this hurt. I can't get past this need for forgiveness. I can't forgive this person for what they did to me, what they said about me, the way that they hurt me. And for some of us, it's a matter that we realize I cannot heal myself. I cannot take away this sickness, whether it's a sickness of the heart or a sickness of the mind, the sickness of the body. I can't do this myself. We are very aware of our physical and emotional and mental limitations. And ultimately where that takes us is the realization that I cannot be good enough to save myself. I cannot save myself. That's where we started. With the realization that we are not saved by the law, by keeping the law, but we are saved by faith. That's what you inherited through Abraham, your father. And that's ultimately where it ends. There's nothing in the story of Abraham that makes Abraham any more holy than the rest of us. Did you notice that when you read Abraham back there in Genesis? There's nothing about this guy that makes him more holy than you and me. In fact, he's kind of a jerk at times. <laughs> he lies about his wife. He tells a guy, well, that's not my wife. That's my sister. The guy tries to sleep with his wife and he's like, you know, why did you lie to me? His wife tells him to sleep with her handmaiden so that they can kind of get in God's way and, and find a way to, to solve this problem about how they're going to have a kid rather than trusting in God. Over and over again, the guy screws up. But ultimately, he puts his trust in God. And what does the Bible say about Abraham? Verse 23 alludes back to Genesis. Verse 23 takes us back to that moment where we read, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it. To him. The Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And what you and I need to understand about what God has called us to is right there in, in 23 through 25. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. That wasn't just for Abraham, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The faith of Abraham, the faith that we have inherited, points you and me to lives of faith, a life where we take God at his word. And what does God say about you and me? That he loves you so much that he so loves you that he gave 
His only Son, that if you believe in Him, you should not perish, but have eternal life. Your story is not one of your own failure. Your story is not one of your own powerlessness. It's not a story of sin and separation from God. It's a story of faith. It's a story of blessing. And it's a story of salvation. I've always loved this song we're about to sing. I love the declaration, this is my story. If you're not careful, someone else will tell your story the way they want to tell it. If you're not careful, someone else will write a story about you, and they will tell their story. If you're not careful, you might even believe it, and you might start telling their story also about how you're a failure, about how you're never going to amount to anything, about how you're never going to change. Maybe you're just like your blank father, mother, whatever. This song that we're going to sing calls you to say, this is my story. This is the truth about me. This is what my Father in heaven says about me, and I'm going to take it by faith. Maybe today you need to sing your story. Maybe today you need to declare the truth that God sees in you. You need us to stand with you and do that. We will pray with you. We will love you. We will help you learn the truth about your story. And a God that loves you so much that he gave everything that you could have a new story. Let's stand together and sing.